There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Shares for beginners. Phil Muscatello and FinPods are authorized reps of Money Sherpa. The information in this podcast is general in nature and doesn't take into account your personal situation. The current industrial base and also petrochemical base, you know, requires production of gas and oil. I mean, oil uh, products are found in everything we use, you know, everything from plastics to lipstick. Uh, you know, these are hydrocarbon based. You know, there are so many products that people don't realize uh, they utilize every day. I mean, it's not just, you know, gasoline or oil in your car. You know, a lot of the fabrics that, you know, that, that are made and products that are being utilized are petroleum based. G'day and welcome back to Shares for Beginners. I'm Phil Muscatello. What is the energy sector? How are tensions with Russia impacting global energy markets? And how can Europe's energy security be strengthened amidst the Russia-Ukraine conflict? I'm pleased to be welcoming James Hill to the podcast. Hello, James. Hi, it's good to see you. James Hill is the CEO of MCF Energy. James is a global leader in the energy industry with over four decades of combined professional and technical experience, specialising in exploration projects across Europe and North America. He's also a geologist by trade and is a chartered member of the London Geological Society. So, Jim, how did, can I call you Jim? Is that okay? Oh, yes, absolutely. Not a problem. Okay. How did you become interested in geology in the first place? Oh, my love of geology really started in college, and it's been an absolutely wonderful career and one that I'm very proud of. Being a geologist is similar to being a historian. We read the history of the earth in the rocks and build an understanding of how the earth evolved and its environment over geologic time, which has changed pretty dramatically. We're looking at the energy sector. So just give us a bit of an overview for beginners about this sector. Well, the energy sector has been dominated by oil and gas for a long time. I mean, decades and decades, obviously. But it's really grown to encompass uh, wind and solar hydrogen uh, and other renewable energy resources as uh, we move towards a transition to a lower carbon environment. The dependence on oil and gas, however, as an energy source, which you know started at the you know beginning of the 19th century almost, has continued and, and will continue for really the foreseeable future as these new technologies begin to take over. Uh, the dependence on, on on oil and gas and other carbon fuels uh, will will decrease over time, but you know technology has to catch up and you know and supply the energy that that the world requires. And for most people, a company like Exxon would um, be one of the larger players in this area, wouldn't it? Well, they've got the money to to throw away, so to speak. You know, whenever you're developing a new energy technology. Uh, for instance, the battery technologies, uh, you know, lithium ion batteries and, and whatnot are a fairly new invention. And, 
you know, energy storage itself uh, really hasn't advanced very much over the decades. And this is something that's going to have to be discovered, assuming you really want to bring uh, renewable energies like wind and solar, you know, to the forefront, because let's face it, the wind doesn't always blow and the sun doesn't always shine. So you've got to you've got to find a way to store that energy. And um, what is the size of the energy sector, as it, say, as a percentage of the S&P 500? Well, as a percentage of the S&P 500, it, it's, a, it's a significant amount. I can't quote a number because I'm not a, not a CFO. <laughs> well, I'm, 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 I'm basically, yeah, I'm, not, I'm a CEO, not a CFO. And mm. really, the, the energy sector itself has recorded the highest market capitalization uh, over this last year. Uh, the energy market capitalization has grown 30% from March of 2021 to March of 2022, uh, far outpacing any other sector. Uh, with energy demand constantly growing and and us coming out of the COVID lockdowns, it's really really started to to expand, and of course the need to transition to cleaner energy sources and systems. You know this market will only continue to grow. So, what are the energy challenges facing Europe at the moment? I mean, it's pretty obvious about that's all about the war. But um, from your point of view, um, what are these challenges? Well. <laughs> Let's face it, the the war in Ukraine is the gorilla in the room. Uh, The new report from the International Energy Agency found that Europe could face a natural gas shortage of over 27 billion cubic meters in 2023. That's equivalent to nearly 7% of the region's annual energy consumption. In assessment, uh, the International Energy Agency found that the supply gap of over 57 billion cubic meters of natural gas to the European Union over the course of 2022. And if the conflict continues, uh, you know, Russia could, you know, cut that off entirely. Now, the mild temperatures of this winter may not continue into next year, and the market for natural gas will also be shaken up as China's economy gathers speed, again, as COVID restrictions are lifted. So there's there's really some significant energy challenges to Europe. And of course, Germany uh, just recently shut down their last nuclear power plant, uh, which of course has, has dropped their ability to produce clean energy uh, dramatically. Uh, very few people realize that Germany has 63 coal-fired power plants. And of course, those have been brought online, severely impacting their carbon output. And what was the impact of the Nord Stream pipeline, Um, some would say, sabotage? Well, you know, the sabotage itself wasn't too significant because Russia had cut off the supplies. But, Mm. you know, the the idea is, is that as the conflict winds down, the destruction of those two pipelines is going to impact, you know, Russia's ability to continue to supply energy into Europe. And, of course, the other major pipelines, a lot of those run through Ukraine. Mm. So, you know, the idea is, is that, you know, this is not something that's going to be fixed tomorrow. Uh, This is something that's going to continue forward, you know, as, you know, we struggle out of this conflict back into a a normal, well, more normal energy demand and supply situation. Mm. So how's MCF Energy um, approaching these challenges? Well, MCF Energy is aggressively pursuing projects focused on the development of natural gas resources in Europe. 
because Europe's been drunk on energy from Russia, the energy resources present within the borders of Europe have really been underfunded and, and primarily ignored for over 40 years. Many, many projects that even those that got drilled uh, were found to be uneconomic because of the price that Russia kept you know, energy resources at, specifically designed to discourage energy development within Europe. Uh, because of this, there were many high-quality projects that MCF could acquire and develop. Plus, e- the EU is finally recognizing that the safest and most secure energy resources that you know are available are those found within the Euro- European Union borders. So MCF has been a first mover uh, in this particular uh, area. And uh, we're, we're, we're currently very aggressively developing projects within Europe. Yeah, because we don't usually think of Austria and Germany as places, as sources of oils. And you, you, you said that it's um, because Russia has uh, provided so much, uh, so much energy up until now. But prior to that, wasn't there development of these resources prior well, to that there's, situation? Well, there's, there's been, there's been uh, always energy developed within Europe. Mm. You know, if you remember, Romania has been an oil and gas producer for a very long time, well before World War One and World War Two. Mm. Uh, but really, uh, all the current energy supplies within Europe are used in Europe. And those supplies do not come close to what these countries require. So from the standpoint of worldwide energy supply, uh, the European energy really doesn't register on the global markets because they don't export. They use mm. everything within their own borders. And it's as, as I said, because of the imports from Europe, you know, these supplies have only dwindled because of the fact that there hasn't been any significant development programs. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Are you confused about how to invest? LifeSherpa can ease the burden of having to decide for yourself. Head to lifesherpa.com.au to find out more. LifeSherpa, Australia's most affordable online financial advice. Are there any different regulatory challenges in Europe as, as opposed to other jurisdictions? Well, they, that has been another problem. You know, of course, the EU uh, stampede towards renewables uh, has discouraged the the development uh, over the years. I've been exploring Europe for over 10 years. And really, I, I think that I started 10 years too soon. Mm. Uh, you know, we, we had drilled six wells in Poland and found some significant energy resources there that we just couldn't develop because of, you know, both you know, the, the political uh, situations at the time. That's just what happened. But for instance, uh, one of our partner companies in Austria, uh, ADX, uh, just got a well uh, permitted and drilled within six months, Mm. which is unheard of 10 years ago. So, you know, they're they're beginning to realize that 
you know, hey, look, you know, we've got to have our own energy supplies because this is the second time Russia has used energy as a weapon. And so you're seeing that now where um, governments are starting to change their attitude towards exploration within Europe's borders. Uh, very much so, even in the uh, in in the permitting and also in the application uh, process for uh, obtaining concessions to explore. You know, both of those have been greatly accelerated. Can you give listeners an overview of the process from exploration through to profitable production and how long it takes? Well, uh, you know, this this is an interesting question. Exploration prospecting for energy really begins in the mind of the explorer. <laughs> It's a process that encompasses both innovation and research into the Earth's past and processes. Uh, once an area is defined, uh, technology comes into the picture to make clear the geologic history and current structure of the Earth uh, before you ever select a drill site. The excitement of drilling and the results uh, uh, is really hard to, to describe, but it's very rewarding when you've discovered that something that Mother Earth has, has kept hidden for all geologic time. Mm. Uh, as an explorer, you're the first one to find it, uh, the first one to, uh, to find that, that hidden treasure. Of course, once it's discovered, the process of bringing that resource to market is just a matter of how close it is to market and how you're going to get it there. Mm. And, of course, the economics involved. So it's to do with pipelines and shipping, I, I assume, and, the, and closeness to those kind of well, exactly. Markets as for well. instance, mm. yeah, for instance, offshore development, you know, from actual discovery to actually a product reaching a household could be years. Whereas our focus, uh, you know, which is primarily on shore, you know, we can bring product to market uh, within months, uh, depending on proximity to pipelines and whatnot. So is it really like they used to show in the movies, a gusher? Like you, you drill the well and suddenly all this oil starts gushing out? <laughs> well, that's what I love about Hollywood is they like to get everybody excited. But no, that's not <laughs> the way it's done. You are in you are in California after all. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's not just California. It's everywhere in the world. Let's face it, mm. if, if oil comes to the surface and blows up over the top of the rig, that's a very bad thing. <laughs> that's a that's a very bad thing, and uh, the idea is to uh, is to control it and and feed it into a pipeline, not spread it all over the ground. Uh, you can't can't sell something that's spread around on the ground. So we've spoken about um, government and how they've changed their prioritization. How about the energy sector itself? How is it responding in general to the Russia Ukraine conflict? Well, you know, the, the energy sector itself uh, has responded, as you would expect, as the price of energy has gone up, the activity level has gone up in, in most areas, except for areas like Romania, where they've put on a windfall profits tax. Mm. You know, basically, oil, you know, money is your lifeblood. If you, if you don't have money, you can't explore, you can't drill wells, you can't build pipelines, you can't bring, you know, bring the product to where it's needed. And, and, you know, that's, that's a problem. I mean, a lot of people uh, will cite uh, the, the large profits that, that, you know, oil and gas companies are currently experiencing, but they also have to realize that, you know, all of that money is needed to explore for new energy and, and bring it to market. Uh, you know, you, you know, it's not something they don't just put in their pocket. They put it back into the into 
you know, development drilling and, and also into the local communities uh, where, you know, you're hiring people to work for you. And those people go out to grocery stores and, and they buy homes and they contribute to, you know, the local communities. Mm. What's the regulatory environment like in the United States at the moment uh, for the energy sector? Is it uh, different well, to it, Europe? In, in the United States, it's a lot different in that, you know, your mineral resources primarily are owned by individuals. Uh, in Europe, uh, all of the energy resources are, are owned by the government. Mm. You know, if you're a European and you, you buy a ranch or, or a plot of ground, you don't own the energy resources underneath it. Uh, you own the surface. In the U.S., it's not that way. You know, you own your surface and uh, you own your minerals. And part of the process that we faced uh, was to go out and lease those minerals before you could drill. Of course, one of my joys is to go into areas that uh, have been, you know, relatively economically depressed and to bring wealth. In other words, one of the things that we do is to find wealth. And uh, for instance, in Ardmore, Oklahoma, we made a discovery. Uh, and if you had 100 acres of land uh, and we found oil and gas on it, uh, your royalties were significant and life-changing. Where do those royalties go to? Is it to um, local government, state government, federal? Well, in, in Europe, of course, it, it, it goes to uh, the federal governments. But of course, uh, the local community, the local governments also uh, get a get a cut of it. Uh, mm. It really depends on the country you're in and and the structure. Of course, in the U.S., where uh, the mineral holders have have the percentage, it goes directly to the owner of the minerals. Uh, of course, with taxes and whatnot for <laughs> for the governments. So, whatever happened to peak oil? Well, peak oil was a concept back in the '80s. And the idea was uh, that the, the demand for energy was going to outstrip the supply. And, you know, they had really originally projected peak oil back in the 1980s. Well, of course, they didn't really factor in technology. Uh, you know, technology has really uh, increased our access to resources greatly. And also the increase in price has allowed us to go out and produce uh, energy resources, which quite frankly, were out of reach because of low price. So it's been a uh, stair step where, you know, as prices went up, it allowed us to apply more technology and develop more technology. And of course, as we found more, the price would go down and, uh, and, and kind of a flip-flop, if you know what I mean. But now peak oil is different in that as renewables come into play, peak oil is actually where demand will be reduced and the supplies will actually be more than the demand. <clears throat> so peak oil is now where demand will be reduced. So now it's it's more the demand which is going to peak. You know, mm -hmm. the demand for, for oil and gas will uh, be reduced by renewables until finally that will be the peak production. There'll still be oil and gas available. It's just the demand for it uh, will decrease.
And how long are you projecting that kind of process to take place for? It'll, it'll, it'll take decades. Uh, let's face it, the current industrial base and also petrochemical base, you know, requires production of gas and oil. I mean, oil uh, products are found in everything we use, you know, everything from plastics to lipstick. Uh, mm. You know, these are hydrocarbon based. You know, there are so many products that people don't realize uh, they utilize every day. I mean, it's not just, you know, gasoline or oil in your car. You know, a lot of the fabrics that, you know, that, that are made and products that are being utilized are petroleum based. Uh, people don't realize just how uh, pervasive uh, it is in, in our daily lives. Mm, yeah, it just doesn't look like the stuff that gushes out of the ground, does it? <laughs> No, 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 no. They, 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 they change it pretty radically. <laughs> <laughs> so people who might be interested to invest in the energy sector, what are the best ways to, or how would you advise someone to approach the energy sector that um, might be coming a little bit interested in it? Well, you know, let's face it, in, in this current economy where inflation is, is such a problem, uh, there are a few constants that, that people can point to. And the world demand for energy will continue to increase as population grows and economies recover from the pandemic lockdowns. Mm. You know, also the development of third world countries will accelerate uh, this demand, you know, as people uh, start to utilize uh, propane instead of wood to cook as you know the demand for electrical energy uh, which of course is is produced by you know the the burning of of fossil fuels you know increases you know the demand for energy will increase and you know these energies you know will not be met by renewable technologies for many decades mm. uh, and the demand for clean natural gas and oil will continue uh, for what i think is my foreseeable future in any case and let's face it, inflation is a fact of life if the current economic policies continue. So the security of any investment in, in energy will continue uh, will, for the foreseeable future. We'll get back to the show right after this brief message. Why am I buying, holding or selling a share? If you can't answer that basic question, then you don't have a plan. The best investors are ruthless in executing their plans. I've been fortunate to meet many great investors on the podcast. Tony Coniston is one of the best. He has a clear and systematic approach to investing that is honest, sensible and methodical. It's called QAV, quality at value. QAV now offer an excellent light plan for only $29 per month. You can follow their buy and sell recommendations and learn the ropes. And the first month is free using the promo code SFBLIGHT. Go to qavpodcast.com.au to sign up. That's qavpodcast.com.au using the promo code SFBLIGHT. Past performance is not a guarantee of future returns. Please read the QAV FSG and consult a financial professional before investing. I receive a small commission for services I recommend, and I only recommend services I use myself. You refer to the effect of supply and demand on the price of energy. Mm -hmm. And that's because it's a commodity, isn't it? Energy is a commodity absolutely. and yep. um, responds to the same forces, doesn't it? It does, absolutely. Well, mm. supply and demand is you know, the driving force with any commodity. Mm. And the more of it is out there, you know, the, the lower the price is going to be. And the higher the demand and the lower uh, the supply, the, uh, the higher it will be. 
uh, let's face it, uh, lithium is is an is an example where you know before lithium ion batteries were around and they decided to put them in cars, the price of lithium was very stable. Well, now it's it's increased radically. The same thing with the the other uh, resources that are required: uh, nickel, cobalt. I mean, you know, the cobalt primarily comes from South Africa or Africa. And, you know, mined by children. Mm. Yeah. And, and, uh, this is, this is something that, uh, that, that a lot of people don't realize demand for copper, for instance, is greatly increased, uh, due to, uh, you know, just, you know, the electrical nature of, of cars now. Mm. So, you know, oil and gas is no different. It's, it's a commodity and, and the more we find the cheaper it'll be. And that's where you also referred to technology is that, um, if a technological development takes place and then supply can be increased as well, that will reduce the price of the commodity. Yeah, the energy in- industry continues to involve uh, new technologies. Uh, you know, the oil and gas industry is only is only number two to the NSA uh, to the uh, use of computer technology, the three D technologies uh, that we use and visualize uh, are are tremendously intensive in computing power and now computer technology and machine learning has has also come into play where uh you know it used to be 3d seismic was you know a great help to us but everything we drilled we we could see visually but there's so much more information in the 3d volumes that are acquired uh the the remote sensing volumes that now machine learning is going in and and seeing those additional data points that we can't see with our eye, but directly relate to the occurrence of, of gas in the subsurface. Mm. I mean, it's, it's really uh, revolutionary to the industry. There will be more discoveries made just because, again, the increase in technology. Are there any other developments you're looking forward to over the next uh, decades? Well, you know, I, I couldn't envision machine learning 10 years ago. Mm, mm. So, you know, when you're actually looking at where the technological advances will come from, uh, there will be more. There's no doubt about it. Uh, you know, as we increase our ability to acquire remote sensing data and our ability to understand it and process it, there'll be more significant uh, strides made uh, in the understanding of the earth and, and how to explore it. So how far off are we from um, the, the wells in Austria and Germany producing? Well, we have two wells uh, planned for the fourth quarter of this year. Uh, one of them will be in Austria, and uh, there will be another one uh, in Germany. Uh, these are high-impact wells. If they hit, you know, they will be significant impact to the company, and they will both be able to be put online pretty quickly. The pipelines are within reach and fairly easy reach in, 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 in one case, and they should come to market, we would imagine, uh, in early 2024. So tell us a bit more about MCF Energy, about its history and, um, and also its performance. MCF Energy is, was founded less than a year ago. I have been involved in my career with a group, uh, investment group, out of Canada. In fact, most of the companies that I've been involved with were actually Canadian uh, in formation. And the people who uh, built and funded those companies basically came to me and said, hey, look, we've got a crisis in Europe. 
and we see a change in the attitude of the European governments. For instance, the EU has now declared natural gas green and a transition fuel to renewable energy sources, which of course is is huge. So these are people that I've been involved with for decades. Uh, They've built very successful companies. Uh, Bankers Petroleum that I was VP of Exploration for was, uh, you know, reached over $2 billion in net market value, uh, starting from basically where MCF Energy is right now. Uh, with the backing of of these individuals. Uh, I was happily retired for a number of years. And it would put it this way, only these people and their involvement was the reason why I decided to come out of retirement and uh, help drive MCF Energy forward. In the short period of time that that we've been in existence, uh, we put together a very strong management team and a technical dream team, really. I mean, I I talked about some of the advances in remote sensing technology and and machine learning. I've got the best. I've got the best on my team in advising us. In this this period of time, we reviewed over 20 projects in Europe. Uh, we've, We've selected two. You know, the Austrian asset, of course, will be drilled uh, hopefully this September. And uh, the uh, German company that we've acquired called Genexco, we actually bought the company. So now we're an operator in Germany. Uh, We have four concessions there. We've got a well going down hopefully by the fourth quarter. And we have many, many applications in for more concessions, you know, related to uh, our German assets. So we've been very aggressive, moving very, very quickly to acquire and exploit these very valuable assets that have been languishing for decades. So where is MCF Energy listed and, uh, and what's the, the code? We are listed on, of course, the TSX. Uh, we're now in the over OTC market in the US. We're also listed in Frankfurt uh, on the European exchange. And if people uh, want to know more about MCF, they can go to our website, mcfenergy.com. There's a lot of information about our current projects and, and where you can find us on the market. That's fascinating. James Hill, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you very much, sir. I appreciate uh, your interest. Thanks for listening to Shares for Beginners. You can find more at sharesforbeginners.com. If you enjoy listening, please take a moment to rate or review in your podcast player or tell a friend who might want to learn more about investing for their future. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.